Welcome to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. Wherever you're listening from, welcome. We pray that the truth from the Word of God speaks to your heart during today's message. Galatians 6 1. If a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, Restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Now, there's some great preaching out of that. And uh, there's a there's a there's an angle that has been taken with this verse of Scripture. And that angle has been taken against King James Bible believers. The argument goes like this. King James onlyism is a fault and a transgression. So. Anybody that says the King James Bible is God's pure and trusted word that we can hold in our hand and read it and believe it would be in a fall. Anybody that says the King James Bible is from the correct line of manuscripts, they would say that we were that we would be in a fault or in their version, a transgression. However, well, they say both of those are untrue. And they would also say that we as Bible believers would then be sinning if we believe that. And so they use this verse to basically tell their crowd, look, we're the ones that are spiritual and in a spirit of, what does it say? Meekness. We should try to help. Those poor King James only Bible believers to be restored from their fault. Now, if you haven't heard that argument, well, you just did right now. And they have a, a they have a bias towards their philosophy, and they argue this way. Don't talk about textual criticism. And now they are going with, in a big way, to do this. When you come across a King James Bible believer, don't talk about textual criticism. Talk about the understandability of language. So that's what we're going to dive into tonight. We all know in Psalms 19, the law of the Lord is perfect. The statutes of the Lord are right. Uh, these folks don't need those verses on 7 and 8. They need verse 12 in Psalm 19 that says, Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. They're the ones in error. They're the ones that have the fault. And so I'd like to use this message to get some understanding. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter number 14. Um And also, let's get Nehemiah chapter number eight. Let's get both of those so that we can flip rather quickly. Go past uh, first Chronicles, second Chronicles. You come to Ezra and there it is. Nehemiah chapter number eight. Let's get that chapter. Mark our spot there. Go to 1 Corinthians 14. We'll do that one first. Look at verse number 9. Verse number 9 of 1 Corinthians 14. The Bible says, So likewise ye, except ye utter by the tongues, words, the tongue, words easy to be understood, how shall it be known what is spoken? For ye shall speak into 
the air. And so the argument goes like this. Can you show me anywhere in the King James Bible where it says you need to understand manuscript evidence? And we're supposed to stand back like, well, no, there is, there is none. So don't talk to them about manuscript evidence. Talk to them about the understandability of the words. You know what verse they go to? This verse. This is the verse that they want to look at. To tell us that we need words that are easy for people to understand. And they say that we are trapped in an untruth. Because edification requires intelligibility. And because there's words in the King James Bible that we can't understand and we don't know that we don't know them, it is becoming a book that is becoming unintelligible. You following the line of thinking so far? Don't talk about manuscript evidence. Talk about edification requires intelligibility. Look at verse number three in 1 Corinthians 14. But he that prophesieth speaketh unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. What does the same chapter say that edification comes from? Verse number three says it comes from he that prophesied, doesn't it? Everybody read that in a verse. Look at verse number five. Well, let's get, continue to read verse four. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself. What's the context of the chapter? It's not necessarily individual words that are hard to understand. It's an entire tongue or language. Huh. If you didn't know what a tongue was, we just took two seconds to explain to you what a tongue is. Yeah. It's a language. Yeah. Isn't that the context clearly that any Christian would agree with? Edifieth himself. But we're not supposed to edify each ourselves, right? It's supposed to be each other. But he that prophesieth edifieth the church. The body of Christ is supposed to get some edification when we come together. That's where the edification comes from. Verse number five. I would that you all spake with tongues, but rather that you prophesy. For greater is he that prophesieth than he that speaketh with tongues, except he interpret that the church may receive edifying. If what I am saying is something that only I can understand, how does that help the body of Christ? Right. It doesn't. Right. That's pretty simple and easy to understand. And so what did I do as as a preacher that opens up the word of God? I am called to prophesy it. In other words, forth tell the truth from God's word so that his saints are what? Edified. That's where the edification comes from. We're supposed to be in Nehemiah 8. Let's go there. Nehemiah 8. You should already have your spot, so we'll get right into the text. Nehemiah 8, chapter number 4. And Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood which they had made for the purpose. So there was an altar, and that altar was a place for sacrifice. Now we have a pulpit that comes into play, and that pulpit 
is not a place for sacrifice. It's going to be a place for teaching the law, <laughs> opening up God's truth and then teaching. There's no altar of sacrifice. This is a pulpit of wood. Now it says, and beside him, who wants to go for those names? Why don't we just start with the teens and just pick one? And verse number five. We got through those quick, didn't we? Let's try them. Mathathiah and Shema and Aniah and Urijah and Elkiah and Maaseiah on his right hand, on his left hand, Bediah and Mishai, Mishal and Malchiah and Hashem and Hashbadana. That's got a ring to it. Zechariah and Meshulam. They're fun to go through because you get to watch the preacher go through it and kind of chuckle as he struggles to get through the words. Verse number five. What does Ezra do? And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord and the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, with lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And Jeshua and Bani, Sherebiah and Jamin, Akub and all those names caused the people to do what? Understand the law. And the people stood in their place. So get your mind off of all the list of names for a second. We've got a pulpit. We've got Ezra. We've got people understanding by someone doing what? Teaching them. Prophesying. The foretelling of God's truth. That is how we are edified. By teaching. Teaching. So. There's this term that's being uh, spread around called uh, false friends. So in the King James Bible, people will say that the King James Bible has false friends. A false friend is considered a word that. You don't know the meaning of it. It was used in 1611. And it may be still used today, but that word used in 1611 and the word that's used today have two different meanings. You know why it has two different meanings? Because the sense of the word changed over time. And that will cause someone reading the King James Bible to misunderstand the word, therefore the context, because the sense of the word has changed over time. And so they would call that a false friend. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Well, if the Lord is my shepherd, why wouldn't, why would I not want him? So in their philosophy and their mindset, you would have to change Psalms 23 because, well, what if somebody reads that and they say, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Well, gee, if the Lord is my shepherd, you mean I'm not supposed to want it? We're not supposed to change the Bible. We're supposed to get some understanding of what it means. That's all that is. We have to be taught. What do we talk? Well, the Lord has all you need. The Lord is your protection. Old English, 449 to 1100 AD, had six vowels instead of five. From 1100 AD to 450 AD, you had Middle English from 450 AD to 1600 was the development of what's called modern English. 
spelling, punctuation, inflection all came together. And so we have a Bible that historically and technically is modern English. You might have a Gothic font type if you're into fonts. That would be considered an old English font. If you're a font person, you know that. And you know what? Those old English fonts are easy to read, are hard to read. When you print, and when I print Jesus saves or trust Jesus on a t-shirt or a ball cap or a tract, we usually have it in Verdana or Ariel or Montserrat, a font that is chosen wide. You try to figure out the ones that are easier to read by the eye so people can get the message. You don't pick a hard to read font so nobody can figure out what in the world you're saying or they got it. So that's the idea there. We don't have we don't have old English. Job 24 says this. Job 624 says this. Teach me and I will hold my tongue and cause me to understand wherein I have erred. There is a benefit to silence. You know who had a false friend? Job. <laughs> Job had a false friend. He wasn't getting any comfort from his friends. They're just wearing them out. No comfort given at all. That's a false friend. You have a word in the King James Bible that might have changed meetings today. Not a false friend. It's a word that you got to look up, get some teaching, and get some understanding from. Uh, go, to, go to Proverbs chapter number 14. Proverbs chapter number 14. I shouldn't have to go to a dictionary to understand the word of God. Has anyone ever said that to you? They put forth this argument that you're supposed to accept as a valid argument. Why is that a problem for you to pick up a dictionary and learn what a word means? We already went through one or two. and We got a quick understanding if you didn't already know what the word meant. But they say, it's just so hard to read. I don't want to have to open up the Bible and then have to rely on having a dictionary. The statement is so silly that. Isn't that how all education works? <laughs> um, from knee high to. You're opening up books and you're opening up dictionaries and you're trying to learn and teach your children syllables and phonics and vowels and sentence structure and all of that. Proverbs chapter 14. Look at verse number six. The Bible says. A scorner seeketh wisdom and findeth it not, but knowledge is easy unto him that understandeth. I hope you're staying with me tonight. The scorner, he basically shuts himself out from his ability to understand truth and the constant profession of Bible rejectors and the constant profession out of their mouth against King James Bible believers is this. Look, we're just seeking truth. And after all, how can any of us argue against someone that says that they are seeking truth? You see how that argumentation works? This is why Proverbs 14, 6 says, seeketh wisdom and findeth it not. 
It's really an unspoken desire to be free from authority. No one is going to argue, look, I don't want an authority in my life. They're not going to argue that. They're going to argue, I'm just seeking truth. And who could argue against that? But that's Proverbs 14, verse number six. The character of the scorner is pride. And they're trying to get you to believe that they know more than your poor, unintelligible, unedifying pastor that's stuck on an archaic book. This is what it it is. Second Timothy 2. We all know this, but let's turn there. It's good to look at it again to make sure we're reading it right. Second Timothy chapter number two, verse number 15. Be diligent to show thyself. Well, let me let me start over. Do your best to show now. Let me let me let me try that again. Repeat these basic essentials. No, sorry, let me just fog out my glasses here. I I inadvertently had copied in some modern versions. Sorry. Let me go with the easy to understand intelligible words. So let's try that again. Study to show thyself approved unto God. You know, it's a shameful thing that people don't study. The King James Bible gives us a real simple, easy to understand word that anybody with a basic education, with any type of intelligence, can put together the fact that, look, you're going to have to do some studying. You're going to have to do some digging. That might require a book. That might require a dictionary. That might require talking to a brother or sister in Christ. That might even require someone standing behind a pulpit of wood. <laughs> so we had somebody come and they found out we were... King James only is not a positive term. It's a term of contempt used against us. It's, it's a way to spiritually call someone a name. Yeah, those King James. Oh. So he gave me some information. I read it. And I thought of this verse. I said, okay, study. Show thyself approved. So you know what I did? I gave him Seitler's book. And it's only about this thing. It's not the easiest book to read. But it's a good book. And I knew you have to chew through it. I knew you have to really study on it. And I thought, you know what? If somebody can get through this, that would tell me that they're really looking to study this thing out. An easy way to weed out someone that's just, well, let's just get to the bottom line as quick as we can. The Bible is going to require some study. We have to be willing to do that. The other thing the Bible's going to require is you don't have to turn there. For the sake of time, I'll read these verses. You've all heard them before. Uh, these were more noble than those in Thessalonica in Acts 17. And that they received the word of all readiness of mine and searched the scriptures daily. Whether these things were so. Um, Bible's going to require some study. Bible's going to require some searching. Yeah. You're going to have to do it. Yeah. You can't rely on your preacher. You can't rely on your brothers and sisters in Christ that know the word of God. You are going to have to study. We know 2 Timothy 3, all scripture is given by inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine, for root, for correction, for instruction. This Bible is going to cause 
You'd have to study, have to search, and have to be instructed. All, all those are biblical principles that are easy to grasp, yeah. easy to get a hold of. So when someone says, really? You're telling me, really? I have to have a dictionary here? to?" No, I'm telling you the Bible says to study. I'm telling you the Bible says to search. I'm telling you the Bible says you need to be instructed. Deuteronomy 6, we see in the Old Testament, these words shall be in thine heart. Teach them diligently unto thy children. When your children learn the word of God, you have to teach them be a part of it let's go to first corinthians 2 first corinthians chapter 2 first corinthians 2 verse uh, chapter number 2 verse number 12 now we have received not the spirit of the world thank god for that but the spirit which is of god praise the lord we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. This is not a linguistic book. This is a spiritual book. And God wants to impart spiritual truth to all of us. Or as they say down south, to usins. That's what this thing is. It's not a linguistic book. First off, it's a spiritual book. Now they would say they're not against hard concepts to understand. But the words are just so hard. What are you going to do? Like have a heart attack or something? They argue, you really think God's going to put hard words, difficulties there for people? How can we expect people to look up words that they don't even know that they are misunderstanding? How many of these words need to stack up before it's time for a replacement? How come we're not saying it's okay if these words stack up? We'll just keep teaching the word of God. For example. If I put some of you on the spot and say, what is Blaine's? You may not know. Well, did you, did we just going to have to throw the Bible out. No. Boils, blisters. That took two seconds. So now we know what that word is. How do you know that? I looked it up. Yeah. What, what you, what, how do you know to argue against the Bible? You look up arguments. <laughs> you, you, how do we know anything? We look it up. You get everything off Google and Wikipedia. So, so their argument for 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 Blaine's is, oh, look, look, it's OK for medical books. It's OK for doctors. It's OK for pharmacists to do that. They use words. A doctor uses words that are unintelligible to non-doctors. Every single profession sure. has its own language. Yeah. If I were to say to you, I'm going to teach you today how to pass the guard. Some of you are like. I don't even know what in the what place we're even supposed to start with. Well, if you get into your shit, so you're going to know there's a language behind them. You're going to know what those words mean. How? Someone taught you them. You heard it. You had no idea what in the world that guy was talking about. But at the end of the class, you went home. Oh wow, I really learned something. You don't know how to pass the guard, but you know that this is the thing you're supposed to do. 
It's the same thing with the word of God. There's a language. We need to compare spiritual with spiritual. Instead of bringing in man's philosophies, man's arguments, and putting that on the pedestal as if we are required to accept those arguments and have to answer those questions. Go to first. Uh, well, let's do. Let's do James chapter number three first. I think that'll work out better. Actually, get first Samuel and James chapter three. So we have two that we can turn to. Uh, and let's do first Samuel first. I think that'll work out better. So get first Samuel chapter number nine and James chapter number three. First Samuel chapter number nine. Some of you have seen this. Some of you have not. Okay, where are we at? Uh, okay. First Samuel chapter number nine. Look at verse number nine. We're not going to get into context because for the sake of time, but I want, I want to get this idea. Watch what it says, verse nine. Before time in Israel, when a man spake, uh, when a man went to inquire of God, thus he spake, come and let us go to the seer. Verse 10. Then said Saul to his servant, well said, come, let us go. Except I skip past the part that's after the semicolon that's, that says, let's go to the seer. For he that is now called a prophet was before time called a seer. If you didn't know what a seer was, now you do. And how did we figure out what a seer was? The Bible interpreted it itself. And it told us that, okay, the seer meant that. And the seer means this. It gave you the definition so that you would have it. Look over at 2 Samuel, and we'll see another example of this. 2 Samuel chapter number 24. 2 Samuel chapter number 24. Look at verse number 11. 2 Samuel 24, verse number 11. For when David was up in the morning, the word of the Lord came unto the prophet Gad. David's seer. Now, if you read that one first, and you went back and read the first Samuel one, you'd get the idea of what a seer is. What do we call that? Study. We call that searching. Makes sense. I just think a seer is um is the seer rating. Because that's what it means today. And so they would say that a seer in the King James Bible would be a false friend. The seasonal energy efficiency ratio. Any HVAC guys here? That's what seer means. So the, 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 the correctors of the Bible say, so you got a false friend. No, you just got to study. You just got to study. I don't read that verse and think that, um, that, 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 that it meant a seasonal energy efficiency ratio because that's what it means nowadays. Come on. Come on. James chapter number three. Now, you know, you know that you don't know what beeves, chambering, and emeralds mean. You know you don't. Well, some of you are laughing, so you know what the last word is. <laughs> Play along, okay? 
You know that you don't know what those words are. And so they will bring this argument and say, look, you know you don't know what thieves mean. Come on. So you can easily put a King James Bible believer on the spot and say, uh, you can't even tell me what chambering means. And so they'll bring forth this argument that says, look, you don't know what you don't know. The word's not in use. It's archaic. Where do we stop? Does propitiation go out? Does justification go out? I purposely put on our track, the one track we wrote, we give away in the fall. And I wrote that track. I purposely put the word propitiation and I broke it down and I gave the definition. Why? Because I want people to learn things. And it, and it fitted in the context of that tract. And that's how people learn. James chapter number three, verse 17. But the wisdom that is from above, that's where we should be getting wisdom, is first pure than peaceable, gentle and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. I can't understand it. You've got the Holy Spirit of God. <laughs> People say they can't understand You've got the Holy Spirit of God. You've got wisdom that can come down from above. God gave you a book. Rejoice in the fact that you can have it folded. Pure means not prideful. Every word of God is pure. We know that. The words of the Lord are pure words. We know that. Thy word is very pure. We've got something from the author. We've got a book authored by the God who loved us enough to die for us. And he promised he'd preserve it. And he did. And he did. Easy to be entreated. We shouldn't be rude, harsh, or cruel, have an arrogant, con con a conflicting style attitude. Not if we're under the wisdom that's from above. Our character and our attitude matters on how we deal with folks that may disagree with us. You don't have to change, you don't have to turn here to this chapter. I'll read it to you. Uh, Deuteronomy 28 The Lord will smite thee with the botch of Egypt. We say that the guy, the guy botched the job. It was a shoddy job. It was shoddy work. You work with someone who's lazy. Say, man, that guy botched the job. So there you go. You got another false friend. See, it's a word that was used back in 1611, but it's used now, and it has a different meaning. It just means a large ulcer or a tumor on the skin. How long did that take to learn? Come on, you kids are homeschooled. How long? How many seconds was that? Two seconds. There we go. Didn't take long to learn that. You learn something. You learn something uh, of Egypt and with the hemorrhoids. 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 We'll see. That, okay, there. We got it understood. And we don't need to change the Bible, but there's enough young people here. They like learning those types of things. They're funny. You can laugh. All right, Romans 13. It's, it says. <laughs> You don't have to change the Bible. Let us walk, Romans 13, 13 says, as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering. There it is, the word chambering. Lewd or immodest behavior, immoral behavior, that's chambering. So what did I have to do? I had to look that word up in a dictionary and find out what it meant. Or maybe some people read it and they figure it out in the context of the chapter or some people might talk to a brother or sister in christ 
or some people might go to church and hear the preaching of the word of God, or some people might go to Bible school and learn. What is all that? It's, it's instruction. It's learning. It's study. It's not, why do I have to go to a dictionary? It's, oh, great, we get to study. We get to search. That's the, that's the idea. Numbers 31. And the beeves were 30 and 6,000. How many of you think it means bees? How many of you knew knew what the word was before I brought it up? Beeves is plural for cattle. That's what beeves is. Cattle that's raised or killed for meat. You don't hear the word used. So all the modern translations will take that and translate it to cattle. Now, I pulled this secular article. Here's what the article says. The headline of the article is this. Is the plural of the word beef really beeves? How would you even use it in a sentence? It goes against everything we thought to be true about the world, or at least uh, the word, or at least about grammar. Professor Raleigh Sussex of Applied Language Studies at the University of Queensland confirms that yes, the plural of beef is beeves. It's archaic. And not really used very much nowadays, he said. But it is correct. That's a secular man writing a secular article that says, it's right. <laughs> it's right. Plurals ending in the letter F in English are a bit tricky, according to Professor Sussex. Now, I didn't do that well in this class when I went to Bible school. There's David Brown that. He'll, he'll tell you. But I, I didn't do very well in the English, getting all that. I mean, I passed it. I studied it. But I had to look this up. Plurals ending in the letter F in English are a bit tricky. Knife. Knives. Life. Lives. Wife. Wives. Calf. Calves. Leaf. Leaves. Dwarf. Well, you're not supposed to say dwarf, but. We're saying it tonight. It's not, I'm not being negative to anyone that's a dwarf, but dwarf, dwarves, dwarves. I, I had in my notes, I wouldn't think of anyone specific. How many dead words have to have, how many dead words have to stack up? Yes, edification requires intelligibility. But I say intelligibility requires prophesiability. How's that for a new word? <laughs> Edification re requires intelligibility. Okay. Well, the Bible says intelligibility requires prophesyability. So that's my answer to the critics. This is why we have, and some, uh, and, and he gave some to the church, apostles and prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Why? For the edifying of the saints, for the yeah. teaching and for yeah. the instruction. That, it's not. It's not, why do we need a dictionary? It's, let's just praise God. He gave the church teachers and pastors. That's, that's understanding the Bible. Second Peter 3. Second Peter chapter number 
I know these are familiar verses. Let's review them. Verse 15. 2 Peter 3, verse 15. And account that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood. Okay. Which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also other scriptures to their own destruction. Every Christian would, would agree that some just twist the scripture. This is. Uh, this is the. Uh, sin depravity of man that comes out as they try to interpret and understand the Bible. I don't think anybody's lifting up their hand to say, hey, who knows everything about the Bible? I mean, you got everything figured out, Ezekiel. And I know, you know, we got our charts and our timelines and then no charts and no timelines and, you know, the numbers and then no numbers. And <laughs> nobody knows everything. Hermeneutical depravity. <laughs> another one. It's a spiritual book. It's not a linguistic book. Wisdom, it's given from above. We don't worship sentence structure. We worship God. Translator has a choice. And if a word might create a, a misunderstanding and a word that won't, he reasons in his human wisdom that we got to choose the word that we're going to hedge the bet on that they won't misunderstand. In other words, let's try to get him to read it without having to go to a dictionary or ask anybody what it means. So that is faith in a man to make a decision that he thinks would be best for the saints of God. That's putting a lot of faith and trust in man's ability to discern and to compromise words. All right, let's do, we'll, we'll finish up here, but let's... Uh, you don't have to turn there for the sake of time. I'll read it to you. Isaiah 14, verse 23, it says, I will make also it a possession for the bittern and pools of water, and I will sweep it with the bism of destruction, saith the Lord of hosts. Anybody know what bism means? Well, I'll give you a hint if you don't. I will sweep it. Broom. It means broom. And if you read that over a couple of times without having any dictionary or any Bible teacher, I bet you you could have figured that one out. You just read it over. Sweep it with the bism of destruction. Hmm, sweep it with the bism of destruction. You know what? I think I need to go to archaic Greek to understand an English word that's archaic. Wait, that doesn't even make sense either. Why would I, if I can't understand the archaic in my own language, how in the world am I going to understand archaic Greek? The whole thing's hodgepodge. <laughs> it's just hodgepodge. Sweep it with the bism of destruction. Oh, broom. Okay, we got it. What word is easier to understand? Strengthen or vault? Strengthen. Strengthen would be easier to understand. Here's an interesting tidbit. The NIV says, and vaults himself against the Almighty. The King James says, and strengtheneth himself against the Almighty. Which one's easier to understand? 
my argument isn't we should go with easier to understand words. It's just that the people that argue for easier to understand words have translations that have words that are harder to understand. I'll tell you, give me a book that's harder to understand that's right. I want something that's right. If I got to dig and search and study, I'll do it. Romans 8, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So as we close, let's not get into carnal arguments. Let's try to get into arguments that where we come to it spiritually minded. If you're carnal or in the flesh, it's probably best to just zip it. Figure out another time to talk about it. Submit to you the only way to build a true New Testament church is to preach the word, to teach the word, and to believe the word, not rewrite the word. Language and words rise and fall. I say, who cares? We don't need to update the language. We don't need to upgrade the language. We need to upgrade our searching, our studying, our instruction, our teaching, our receiving of the word, our spiritual mindedness, our spiritual discernment. And we need to be careful of words which man's wisdom teaches. Thank you for listening to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. We look forward to seeing you in the next episode. In the meantime, you can sign up for our email newsletter at www.pilgrimbaptist.church.